The stories shared on Kill Time with Katya and Nikki podcast have been researched with the intention of disseminating info about these crimes to the public. We do not claim that the facts researched are correct. All information is shared in a light-hearted yet sensitive manner. Any views and opinions expressed on Kill Time with Katya and Nikki podcast are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, anyone or anything. We do not support or encourage the behaviors of the people we have researched. We do not criticize or judge any of the people involved in these cases. We are simply sharing the information we have come across through conducting our research. Hey guys! Hey guys! Welcome back to our last episode of the year! Yes, so sad. I mean, I'm really sad I won't be seeing you, but I'm really happy that it's holiday. <laughs> Like, oh, yes. Uh, we've been talking about wanting December to come. Yeah, I know. We've been counting down the days. And it's here. Again, not wishing life away, but just very looking forward to waking up whenever I want. And spending not time Not freaking with out about a deadline. Chilling with family. Making eggnog, because we're not American. I've that. never made that before. Have you ever had? No, but it sounds delicious. Oh my gosh. Is it great? It's really good. Yeah, Will well, I see you it before you go away? I want to make you Possibly. Eggnog. Oh, yes. Please at least do. I'll send you a recipe at least okay, so that yeah. you can try and make a small batch. Great. Great. Amazing. It's really good. It's like a thick, mm, I want to say a thin alcoholic Christmas custard that you drink. Oh, yummy. It's like, a th- you know, the texture of a thick hot chocolate? Yes. It's almost like that. Okay. But it's... Sold. Mm. Sold. Do you like chai? I love chai. It's like a chai custard with alcohol. My only issue with chai, because mm. I'm sort of on a mission to find a really good chai latte, okay. is that it's very sweet. And I, it's uh, obviously like a sweetened latte that is everywhere, but it's just yes. too sweet. Do you know what I've been doing? Yeah. So like, Willie, you, you get like chai tea bags. Yes, yes. And Willie's has this amazing vanilla chai tea bag. Ugh. So I've just been doing that with like a little bit of water. And then milk. Nice. Like, and it, you don't need any sweetener, but it's got that flavor. Shout out to Woolworths. We hey, love Woolworths. you. Sponsor tea bags. Yeah. <laughs> oh my. Good Imagine. idea. Yeah. yeah. We love vanilla chai. Yeah. So oh my. <laughs> we love vanilla chai. <laughs> Sorry, I really had to re-say because it, it was so funny in my head. So this week, we're, we're just surprising each other with a random story. Yeah, for a gift for Christmas. Great. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure you're going to love my gift. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can I return it if I don't? No. <laughs> but it's a goodie because okay. it's such a baddie. No, no, no. Um, I'm keen. Let's get unwrapping, girl. Okay. So my story today is about this woman named Catherine Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an Australian woman who had a really messed up childhood. And had turned out to be quite a violent person because of her childhood, especially in relationships. Like okay. she wore the pants in okay. the worst way. Okay, yeah. Um, and after a failed marriage and two failed love affairs, she met this guy named John Price. She had two children and he, also being previously married, had three children. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you what happened right up front. Yeah, do it. And then tell you about what happened to her because there's no other way... Yeah, no, we need to get context. straight into it. Yeah. yeah. So, on the 29th of February in the year 2000, Catherine stabbed her partner, John Price, to death 
37 times. Oh, my word. I'm going to say the rest really quickly to just get through it. Okay. It's my signature move. Yeah. She then skinned him, decapitated (gasps) his head, and cooked up his body parts. (gasps) She set her dining room table for two and served the cooked meat with baked potatoes (gasps) and side vegetables. Never. She placed handwritten notes next to each of the two table settings with the names of Price's children on them. <gasps> she was attempting to serve their father for dinner. Oh, no, this is a joke. This is a joke, right? Are you, are you punking How me? How insane! And I thought this was crazy. Until I read into her like past and what she's done before, I don't understand how like no one put her away before. I know, I know, it's, it was really bad. When police like finally arrived at the house, they found her in a comatose state with pills spilled out on the floor. They also found his head boiling in a pot of oh soup on the stove. Oh, my word. She was the first, like, they, she was fine. They rushed her to hospital, and they got her in perfect health to go to prison. <gasps> and she was the first woman to be sentenced to life imprisonment without parole um, and is currently still serving her sentence <gasps> in New South Wales, Australia. Oh, my word. How I insane. Am, I'm, I'm, I'm in shock. It's the craziest thing. This is the craziest one. Yes. I think the craziest we've ever done. Ever. But like, let me get into it. Okay. I'm scared. So she was born and raised in a really unconventional and dysfunctional family environment. Her mother had four kids with one guy. And then her mom had an affair and had a few more kids with this new guy, including a set of twin girls. And she was the youngest of the twin girls. Okay. Um... She claims that she was frequently sexually assaulted by several members of her family, although not by her father. But her father would, in front of all the children, rape her mother oh. and beat her mother, but never touched his, his daughters. I don't know about the, the sons. Um, but she said she was sexually assaulted, although not by her father, mm. by other family members until she was 11. Oh, man. And apart from her twin sister, the only person that she was really close to was her uncle called Oscar Knight, okay. and he was a champion horseman, but he committed suicide in 1969, which like completely devastated her Mr. and shattered her yeah. world. He was like the only adult she could trust, and she continues to maintain that his ghost still visits her. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, when she attended high school, she became a loner and a bully. She assaulted at least one boy at school with a weapon. Oh. And once was injured by a teacher who was found to have acted in self-defense. So she like went nuts on a teacher. Holy moly. Um, But when she was not in a rage, she was like a perfect model student. She left school at the age of 15 without having learned to read or write. What? Yeah. What was she doing? I don't know. Beating people, beating kids up. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But when she left, she gained employment as a cutter in a clothing factory. Twelve months later, she left to start to uh, to start what she referred to as her dream job, which was cutting up offal at the local abattoir. Oh my gosh! I know. There, she was quickly promoted to boning, <laughs> <laughs> and given her own set of butcher knives. At home, she sung, she hung the knives over her bed. Oh come on! So then. that they would always be handy if she needed them. And this was a habit that she continued until her incarceration. Everywhere she lived, she always hung these butcher knives above her bed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So her marriage, her first marriage, well, her only marriage. Yeah. Kath met 
a hard-drinking co-worker called David Stanford Kellett in 1973. And she completely dominated him. Mm. If he got into a fight, she would step in and back him up with her fists. Like she would get into fights for him. Yeah. Um, she was well known for physically threatening anyone who upset her. Mm. Um, they got married in 1974. And apparently like they drove up to a wedding on his motorbike. She was like this rough girl a little bit. Yeah. On their wedding day, her mom, who was someone who was like abused and messed up, told David, like, just be careful, because if mm. you ever do anything, she will kill you. And he was, like, super drunk on their oh, wedding. Oh, my word. On their wedding night, she tried to strangle him. Apparently, it was because he fell asleep after only having intercourse three times. <laughs> it wasn't enough for her. Ooh. Their marriage was violent, <laughs> like, very violent, and oh. she fell pregnant, and on one occasion... Being heavily pregnant, she burned all of David's clothing and shoes before hitting him across the back of the head with a frying pan. Wow. Like, how insane is this? Wow. And that was simply because he had arrived, arrived home late from a darts competition. <laughs> in fear for his life, he fled before collapsing in a neighbor's house. And he was later treated for of for a severely fractured skull. Police wanted to charge her, but she talked David into dropping the charges. But now you see, she's they're procreating, they're having babies, and these people should not be having babies. Yeah. You want to know what she did to her baby? Oh, no. Do I? The baby's fine. But okay. in May 1976, shortly after the birth of her first child, Melissa Ann, David left Catherine for another woman. Apparently because he was unable to cope with her abuse. Oh, yeah. Um, the next day after he left her, she was seen pushing the new baby in a pram down the main street, violently throwing the pram from side to side. Good God. I know. She was then admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression. Okay. And she spent several weeks recovering. After being released, like... The day of or the day after, she placed two-month-old Melissa on a railway line shortly before a train was due. No. She then stole an axe, went into town, <gasps> and threatened to kill several people, like just swaying this axe around. What happened to Melissa Ann? A man known as Old Ted was foraging near the railway line and found and rescued <gasps> Melissa minutes God. before the train passed. Oh, yeah. My word. She was then arrested and again taken to St. Elmo's Hospital. Are there pictures of this woman? I that? think so. Yeah. I mean, oh. this happened. The 70s? No. 2000 and the year 2000. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Sorry. So this with the kid was, yeah, in the 70s. But listen, oh. so she was arrested and again taken to this St. Elmo's Hospital, but apparently recovered. She signed herself out the following day. Oh, come on. Yeah. A few days later, she slashed the face of a woman <gasps> with one of her knives and demanded she drive her to Queensland to find David. So David moved to Queensland, apparently. The woman escaped after they stopped at a station. But by the time police arrived, Catherine had taken a young boy hostage and was threatening him with the knife. Jeez. She was then disarmed when police attacked her with brooms. <laughs> No, like, this man. sounds so made up. This sounds like a movie. I know. And she was then admi admitted to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. Yes. 
She told the nurses that she had intended to kill the mechanic at the service station that she stopped at because he repaired David's car, which had allowed him to leave her. Oh, my word. And then she wanted to kill both her husband and his mother when she arrived in Queensland. Wow. When police informed David of the incident, he left his new girlfriend and moved back with his mother to support Catherine. How it, that's weird. That for me is like, <laughs> these people are nuts. I'm sorry, this is the craziest story. I know. And it only gets worse. Oh my. She was released on the 9th of August, that same year, into the care of her mother-in-law and David. And together they moved to Woodbridge, um, Woodridge, a suburb of Brisbane, where she obtained a job at the Dinmore Meatworks. Mm. Yeah. Four years later, so they were living all together. Four years later, on March 6th, 1980, they had another daughter named Natasha Marie. Four years after that, Catherine left David and moved in first with her parents and then back to a rented house close to where they, she was living with David and his mom. Okay. Although she returned to work at the meatworks, she injured her back the following year and she went on disability pension. No longer needing to rent accommodation close to her work, the government gave her a housing commission residence in Aberdeen, which was where her parents were from. Okay. Two years after she left David and moved in by herself and her daughters, she met a 38-year-old minor named David Saunders. So she was just with other David and now it's new David okay a few months later he moved in with her and her daughters although he kept his old apartment in this area named Scone or Scone mm -hmm. she soon became jealous regarding what he did when she wasn't around and would often throw him out he would move back to his apartment where she would invariably follow and beg him to return in May 1987 so this is like a year after they met mm -hmm. She cut the throat of his two-month-old <gasps> dingo puppy in front of him. Oh, my god! For no more reason than as an example of what, she would ha what would happen if he ever had an affair before going on to knock him unconscious with a frying pan. Oh, my word. This chick. Yeah, in June 88, so a year after that, he's still around, she gave birth to a third daughter with this new David hey. named Sarah, which prompted... New David to put a deposit on a house because now he was starting a family with her and he wanted to like step up and be a man. Hey. Catherine paid off the deposit when her wor workers' compensation came through the following year. So now they've been together for three years. Mm. She apparently decorated the house throughout with animal skins, skulls, <gasps> horns, rusty animal traps, Oof. leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. No space, including the ceilings, were left uncovered. Sounds like a dream. It's this this story doesn't sound real. No, no. I'm going to definitely research this one. Yeah. I have to see more. Like yeah. I have to see <laughs> what you're talking about. And she looks like this old tunny from Australia. Anyway, after an argument where she hit New David in the face with an iron before stabbing him in the stomach with an a pair iron of scissors. Now and not a frying pan. And then stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. Oh. She, he moved back to his old apartment in Scone, 
So he survived it. Yeah. But then when he returned later, he found that she had cut up all of his clothes because he had left after the fight. He took long service leave and went into hiding. Like he just (laughs) like disappeared. She tried to find him, but no one admitted to knowing his whereabouts. Several months later, when he returned and wanted to go see his daughter, he found out that she had gone to the police and unjustly told them she was afraid of him and had issued like a, they call it an AVO, which is Apprehended Violence Order. I think it's like a um, restraining order. Restraining order. Okay. Then, so that was 89. Following year, 1990, she became pregnant. Again, fourth child, daughter, by this man called John Chillingworth. Every time you say she was pregnant, it like hits it's, me. I know. Hurts no, me I know. physically. Sorry, carry on. But this time by a 43-year-old former abattoir worker, co-worker, John Chillingworth, and gave birth the following year to a boy named Eric. Their relationship lasted three years before she left him for a man She'd be having an affair with for some time. John Price. So, David. Yeah. Married David. Relationship with David. Relationship with John. Left him for John. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's two Johns. Two Davids and two Johns. Yeah. I wonder if that was part of her plan. I think it was like she was so obsessed with the David and he disappeared. And the next day. Found another David. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. And then I think John kind of just happened because they were working together. Yeah. And she fell pregnant. They loved chopping meat up and yeah. stuff. Probably Just also like had a... they had matching knife sets above their heads. <laughs> Can you imagine if that fell off? No, that's <sighs> very strange. Anyway, I mean, suits her. So, John Price. So she left John Chillingworth, co-worker, for John Price. John Price seemed to be a really, really nice man. He was the father of three children. When Catherine had an affair with him, he was divorced and his youngest was two years old and the youngest was living with his ex-wife and he had the other two kids. Um, so apparently he was a terrific bloke that was liked by everyone who knew him. Terrific bloke? And he was well aware of her violent reputation when she moved into his house in 95, but... I think he just he liked thought he that. could change her. Mm. I think he was, he just like was someone who saw the best in everyone. Yeah. Um, so, but they had been together for five years already. Oh, wow. When, when she moved into his house. Cause she, oh no, 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 no. Oh. Maybe four. Incorrect fact. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess that is quite a while to be together. I mean, it's, by her standards. Yeah. Surprised she didn't off him because <laughs> he hadn't asked her to move in. Well, they argued a lot about that. She wanted him to marry her. And um, I think he, having been married, was like not why? looking for yeah. another marriage. Yeah. But his children really liked her. Um, he was making a lot of money working in local mines. And apart from violent arguments at first, life was a bunch of roses. Of course. In 1998, so three years later, after they had moved in together, Catherine and John fought over his refusal to marry her. Mm. In retaliation, she videotaped items he had allegedly stolen from work and then sent the tape to his boss. Although the items were out-of-date medical kits that he had scavenged from the company rubbish, like (sighs) 
it wasn't even something he stole. It was yeah. disposed of. He was fired from his job um, that he had held for 17 years. Oh, my word. That same day, he kicked her out and she returned to her own home while news of what she had done had spread throughout the town. So now she was embarrassed yeah. because people were judging her. A few months later, they restarted the relationship. Yes, these guys are suckers, hey? Yeah. Although now he refused to allow her to move in. He was just like taking on dates, trying again, but yeah. nowhere near his home. The fighting became even more frequent and most of his friends would no longer have anything to do with him because mm. he was with her. So in February 2000, a series of assaults on John culminated with Catherine stabbing him in the chest after just all these things. Yeah. Finally fed up, he kicked her again out of the house. I don't think they moved in. I think she was just over. Yeah. He kicked her out. And that day, on the 29th of February, he stopped at the magistrate's court on his way to work and took out a restraining order, attempting to keep her away from him and his children. He also told his co-workers that day that if he didn't come to work the next day, it would be, it would be because she had murdered him. Whoa. Despite their pleas that he not return home, he stated that he was afraid she would kill his children if he didn't go home. Oh. Price arrived home to find that Catherine wasn't there and she had sent the children away for a sleepover at a friend's house. He then spent the evening with his neighbors before returning home and going to bed at about 11 p.m. She apparently arrived at his house that night and according to her, he was sleeping and she sat and watched TV for a bit. I can't imagine that he would have let her have keys to his house. Yeah. But no. she said that he was sleeping. She sat and watched TV for a bit. She went and had a shower and then apparently she woke him up and they had sex. Also, then, sorry to interrupt you, the fact that she sent his kids off to a sleepover, like surely the kids were told not to listen to her or do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's also a bit weird. Yeah, they would know. The dad is anti her. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so sorry, they but just had sex. That's yeah, what she, she said. Yeah, she said that. And <laughs> yeah. then she said, after which he fell asleep. Okay. But at 6 a.m. the next day, the neighbor that he had spent the evening with became concerned because his car was still in the driveway. So I think they knew he left for work quite early. Mm. Um, and when he didn't arrive for, at work, his employer sent a worker to go see what was wrong. This was obviously of, a new job, right? Because he lost his job. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, but he had lost his job like before. So then they were still together for another three years. Oh, uh, yeah, Where he sorry. restarted things. Yes. So I think like the neighbor was concerned and then co-workers like he's not here. And what he said yesterday, something's fishy. Um, and when the worker got there, the neighbor went outside and was like, what the hell's going on? Mm. And they both realized they were worried about him and they knocked on the bedroom window to try to wake him up. But then they saw blood on the front door and they called the police because oh. they didn't want to get in. Police arrived at about 8 a.m. and they broke down the back door. And there they found the scene I described earlier. Oh. She had stabbed him with a butcher's knife while he was sleeping. According to the blood, blood evidence, police believe that he woke up and tried to turn the light on before attempting to escape while Catherine chased him through the house. <sighs> he managed to open the front door and get outside, but he either stumbled back from the injuries or he was dragged back into the hallway where he finally died after bleeding out. His autopsy revealed he had been stabbed at least 37 times. 
Apparently, after she murdered him, she went into town in the middle of the night and drew out a, a thousand Australian dollars from his bank account. Um, and several hours after he had died, she cooked up a feast of the body parts oh gosh, and left so the Ill. place settings for his kids. That yeah. is awful. I don't know why, but they went into detail about what vegetables she cooked. Oh, my word. Baked potato, pumpkin, <laughs> beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and gravy. So she had actually set everything in place. says cuckoo. Yeah. Um, oh, so she was Ill. just preparing to serve him to the kids. <gasps> A third meal was thrown on the back lawn for unknown reasons. And police speculate that she had attempted to eat it, but couldn't. So she, like that, because she was like, I'm going to, you're going to see, I'm going to get you. And then oh, she tried wow. and she couldn't. And they found his head boiling in a pot with soup. She wow. was arraigned. So she, and then they found her tons of pills all of a sudden. I think they found she wanted her to take money. In the house. Yes. Yeah. On the bed. So I think what happened was she killed him drew out a lot of money and then was going to like cook them up, cook him up, wanted to eat him and then flee. But actually when she tried to eat him, lost her shit and she couldn't believe what she did and then tried to kill herself because they found the money in her bag, I think. Yeah. Um, but like I said, they got her back to health Jeez. and she's fine. She was arraigned on the 2nd of March, 2001 on the charge of murdering John to which she entered a plea of not guilty. Are you joking? No. Her trial was initially fixed for the 23rd of July, but adjourned due to her counsel's illness and was refixed for the 15th of October. So now it's like almost a year. Yeah. And she's just hanging. Her legal team had planned to defend her by claiming amnesia and dissociation. Two psychiatrists concluded that Catherine suffered from borderline personality disorder. Um, I also read this thing that said, like, they, because she says she claimed not guilty um, of murder, she said not guilty of murder. She wanted to say manslaughter so uh, that she hadn't planned it. Yeah. And they, the court immediately said, there's no way. Look at what you did. We're, we're charging you with How murder. do you boil somebody's head by accident? Yeah. So then with murder, she said not guilty. And then they had to have a jury because uh. she had pleaded not guilty. Apparently, they went through so many jury members because the court had to disclaim saying there is so much photographic evidence that they had. Like if you wanted to be dismissed, you could actually yeah. because of it. <gasps> and every time there was new stuff coming in, they're like, if you don't want to see this, you can be acquitted. And eventually they were left like three or four people. So they called in her lawyer that convinced her to plead guilty so that there wouldn't be a jury because that's rough. it was taking too long and no one wanted to see what she'd done. Apparently it was that gruesome. Oh, wow. Um, oh, anyway, man. no reason has ever been given for the guilty plea. But despite giving... So they... they Guest, her lawyer was like, doll, you need to change it. Yeah. Um, but she still refuses to accept responsibility for her actions. At the sentencing hearings, Catherine's lawyer requested that she be excused to avoid hearing some of the facts 
of what she had done. Oh my. But the application was refused. When Timothy Lyons took the stand, I think, I don't know what he, I think he was the, um, neighbor. Mm-mm. The autopsy coroner. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that was him. Okay. When he took the stand and described the skinning and decapitation, Knight became hysterical and had to be sedated. She was sentenced to life imprisonment and ordered that her papers be marked never to be released. The first time that this had ever been imposed on a woman in Australian history. And she's still in jail serving her sentence. Holy moly. I've like, you've left me feeling a way that I've never felt after hearing a story. I don't know how I'm going to cook dinner. Like, so sorry. I feel ill. I feel like you don't like your Christmas gift. I <laughs> hate it. I'm so sorry. But I guess that's a positive thing, yeah. It's insane. Sure. And the thing is, I've never heard the story. I feel like I've heard every story now. I mean, uh, yeah, I was going to say, how is this not the first one that pops up when you're Googling like crazy murders? Yes, I don't know. That is, have they made, are there any documentaries on her? Apparently someone made, I think in Australia, I've read an article that they were making a movie. Okay. Well, yeah, I was going to say, or a movie. Oh man, I would never go watch that though. I would, because they wouldn't ever do it graphically. I think they would, I think this producer, it sounded like he was like, on her side. So he would have shown uh, her childhood and yeah, how, how it she messed her was, up. Yeah. And Look, it's a valid thing though, hey? Yeah. I mean, if you think about some of our previous um, stories. stories and the way abuse can affect the psyche, it's quite yeah. scary. I'm not saying it excuses it, but it's just, it's a scary thing. The human mind, guys. But there were like four key partners. Yeah. That all kept going in. So it was like an, a normal, well, not normal, a typical abusive relationship where a woman can't leave. That's what she did to these men. Yeah. Just the opposite, the other way around. Usually and, you hear. And she wasn't like gorgeous. I was going to ask you, is she very attractive? The photos I saw, no. She must have just been intimidating and these men... Didn't have balls. <laughs> and, and maybe char- like very charming maybe. and manipulative. I think manipulative is a big keyword. Sure yeah. we. Well, we can continue feeling sick now. Yeah. Because I'm going to be telling you about the McDonald's massacre. I don't know if I know it, but I'm excited. So, my guy. Gifts. <sighs> yeah. My guy's name is James Oliver Huberty. Okay. Uh-huh. So this guy, when he was little, contracted polio. So he had crooked knees and he had to wear braces. And, of course, he was then awkward and so withdrawn. Oh, he sounds so cute. Yeah, shame. He was teased and bullied his whole childhood. And at the age of seven, his mother, like, randomly abandoned the family. She decided that she had to become part of some Lutheran missionary work. And so to his father's shock and to his siblings' shock and him, his shock, she left. She just left. Like, she just didn't come home one day and, like, lost them. 
Anyway, the father was also really absent, not by choice, but because he was always working and trying to support his family. As a teen, he took a fascination, or he had a big fascination with guns. He was, like I said, very awkward and did not engage socially with people. So he was socially isolated and he decided that he wanted to study funeral science and so become a mortician. So he studied embalming of the dead there's, and... There's red flags everywhere. <laughs> A retreated kid whose obsession is guns. Red flag. <laughs> red flag. And he wants to study funeral science. So he, he apparently really enjoyed his work. But the problem was he made the families of the dead very uncomfortable. So like, for example... He was very good at embalming bodies, but then when mourners were still at the funeral home, he would ask them to leave, but he wouldn't ask them. He would walk, like pace up and down the funeral home and like whisper, get out, get out, get out. And then if the family didn't leave, he would turn off all the lights and his behavior was erratic and strange and very concerning. His whole life, like all the reports about this guy with was that he made everyone around him feel very uncomfortable. Um, he, he was then told that because he was so bad socially and couldn't engage with people, he was not going to be a good fit at this particular funeral home. And so he was let go. He took a job as a welder um, where he could, <laughs> I know, come out? where he could work completely on his own. He could, pull the helmet down and be on his own. Um, at 23, he married a young woman named Etna and they moved into a large red brick house. One of his neighbors compared his company, oh no, sorry, a pastor at the church compared his company to a man shadowed by inner demons clawing at his guts. He was raised in a strict Christian home, so church was something that he was used to. And sorry, I didn't say he was born in 1942 in Ohio. So in the 1970s, James and Etna Huberty were enjoying a very happy life. They had two daughters in 1973 and 1977. He then, while everything seemed like it was going smoothly, he started expressing paranoid conspiracy theories about the downfall of America. He adopted this survivalist mentality where he put up no trespassing signs all over his property and he bought himself a guard dog. He stockpiled on food and ammunition in anticipation of this big event where America would meet its end. Yeah. Neighbors became accustomed to sudden bursts of gunfire from the basement of their home. He had actually built a makeshift shooting range in their basement. So just completely paranoid and weird. Um, one neighbor complained to him one day that James's guard dog had damaged his car. So James then said, don't worry, I will handle it. And he took his guard dog out the back and shot it. The neighbor confronted him about how trivial the actual issue was and said, you know, why did you have to shoot the animal? And he said that he believed in paying his debts no matter how good or bad. He also scared his neighbors often by pointing a rifle at them and laughing. 
and he would sit on his porch motionless with a rifle on his lap. So again, very strange behavior. Domestic violence was also a regular occurrence in the house towards Etna. And in 1982, sorry, in 1982, um, he was about to experience a change in fortune. So already his very fragile world would begin to crumble down around him. He lost his job. Welding. Yes. And an ex-co-worker recorded his chilling words where he mentioned how upset he was and that he wanted to shoot somebody. And then, quote, if this is the end of me making a living for my family, I'm going to take everyone with me. So he again had these radical conspiracy theories where he blamed everything and everyone about his downfall, be it America's upper class capitalism, secret government initiatives, or the president at the time, they were responsible. He also claimed to hear voices telling him to kill himself. These voices also told him that he was German, a prisoner of war, and that nuclear war was imminent. He then at a later stage got another job, um, only to lose it again. He had tried to kill himself. He had sold his home at a loss because of the economy at the time. And so the family had to relocate numerous times. They were just really not on a good path. I'm sure the neighbors were happy. Yeah. Shit, yeah. They then moved to a Latino complex. And while they he just started to deteriorate mentally. He, um, in 1984, finances started drying up and they moved to San Isidro. He got a job as a security guard and on July 10th, 1984, he was fired due to, again, unpredictable behavior. So he was very bitter, very, very bitter towards society. On July 15th, 1984, he told his wife he had a mental problem and he had actually called a clinic and left his details with them to please get them to phone him back because he was starting to freak out and he knew that he was sick. Oh, shame. He apparently sat by the phone for hours waiting for them to call and turns out that because he was so polite on the phone, they ruled this inquiry out to a non-crisis inquiry which could be dealt with in 48 hours where it should have been dealt with immediately because of what was about to happen on july 18th he took his family to the zoo he had told etna that his life was over and that society had their chance so obviously by this clinic not calling him back this was the last straw the straw that broke the camel's back he walked into they got home from the zoo and he walked into their room and said to Edna, I want to kiss you goodbye. She asked where he was going and he replied that he was going hunting humans. He told his daughter goodbye and that he would not be back. 200 yards from his apartment, he drove to the local McDonald's and not for a happy meal. (laughs) He had three weapons on him, three weapons with hundreds of rounds of ammunition There were 45 people inside working and dining, and within one hour, he had let rip and shot 
or sorry, killed 21 people and injured 19. He was gunned down himself by one of the police, because, I mean, the police arrived in their droves. And at the age of 40, he was gunned down. And at the time, it had been reported as one of the worst crimes with the most people murdered by one person. So literally a massacre. And the photographs and footage are really awful because they were kids. They list the names of the people who died and people who were injured. And I mean, they range, they're all ages, up to 62, as young as like 15. And it's just so horrendous. Right? I didn't like my Christmas gift either. Yeah. We're really bad at giving gifts. <laughs> I know. I feel so like, Ugh. I know. Trust us to leave like on this note. That's why you're here, guys. Oh my gosh. I apologies. can't believe it. A thousand apologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. That's crazy. James Huberty and what night? Catherine Knight. Crazy people. Crazy people. Crazy stories. I know. Like. I feel so heavy. Yeah, but And don't. I don't even have a joke. <laughs> Me either. But we haven't done jokes the past two episodes. I We've know. Been we need jokes and jingles. That'll make me feel better. Okay, do you have so a we, joke? I don't have a joke. Me either. But we'll work on it this December. So when we come back, 2019, yo, get ready for our jingle. No pressure. <laughs> but we will yeah, have one eventually. We will have one eventually. Aww. Oh, guys, that is a wrap. For the year. For the year. We hope you guys have the best holidays. Yes. Travel safely. Happy New Year's and Christmas. And what else is celebrated in December? Oh. Isn't Hanukkah? Happy Hanukkah? Around the same time. I'm um, not. Like yeah, because Chrismica. Some people have Chrismica, which is like Christmas plus Hanukkah. Happy everything. Yeah. So whatever you're <laughs> celebrating, if you're not celebrating anything, enjoy. And thanks for listening. Always. Thank. Yeah. Thanks for the support this year, guys. It's yeah. been great. Yes. And we're excited to talk murder in 2019. Yeah. Until then. When you come kill time, time with us. us. <laughs> Bye. Bye.